0: Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday podcast. My name is Greg, and we are currently going through a series in Matthew, and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org, and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message would inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Well, hey, uh, happy Mother's Day. Mothers, we love you. Do you love your moms? Yeah. All right. Happy Mother's Day. So glad you're here. Sorry it rained today. I prayed and talked to the Lord about it. I said, would you give him sunshine? He said, nope. Just dreary sadness. <laughs> no, he didn't answer me. But hey, I'm really thankful. Uh, yeah. And I didn't pray that. Let's just be honest. Um, really thankful. I know all of us are thankful for the rain. We're Wyoming people, right? We got to wear a rain jacket today. It's one of the three times this year you'll get to do that. So thank the Lord. Well, hey, I'm glad that you're here. My name is Greg Brooks, okay? I'm just a young dude who loves Jesus, who was rescued out of sin, and, uh, and I'm still a sinner, but my God still loves me, and he cares for me, and he's doing something that we call sanctification, which means he's growing me in my faith in Jesus. Is anybody else like me in this room? Okay, great. I love that you're here, because we're going to have fun together, because since you and I are similar in that way, we're going to have a great time learning about Jesus, and today Jesus is going to be teaching us, and I'm just going to be talking about what he teaches, and so let's pray, okay, and, uh, but also let's read God's Word. So if you'll stand with me, go to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be at verse 19. It's also going to be on the screen, but I encourage you to grab your Bible, use your phone, whatever the case may be. The reason why we do this, and so if you're here every week and you hear me say this every week, look, I'm not sorry, okay? But if you're new, the reason why we're standing right now is not because uh, we think you have to stand every time you read God's Word. No. It's just a way to tell our bodies, tell our spirit, which are together and are one or both good together, uh, that the Word of God is something that matters to us as a people of God, okay? What He says matters to us. And so we're going to read this. I'm going to read this. You can follow along. So starting in verse 19, it says this. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us this word, which for a group of anxious people is a good word, a great reminder. And so this morning as we talk about this war that we live in between anxiety and the oppression of wealth and prosperity and the confusion and diversion, uh, diverse paths it takes us on. And Lord, help us all. I pray you help every soul in this room to be reminded that we have a God that we can trust and a God is worthy of our service. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all can see it. Have a seat. All right. Uh, is anybody in this room, and as like you struggle with anxiety in some form? Anybody in this room? Okay. If I had a third arm, I'd raise it. Okay. I struggle with anxiety, and so this past week I was reading Proverbs eighteen ten. It says this: "The name of the Lord is a strong tower; the righteous man runs into it and is safe." Is that true? I struggle to believe that. Anybody else? That God is safe. Man, our Bible tells us that the Lord is our strength and our safety. He's our safe place. When we choose to hide our hearts, guys, in God, it says that we are safe. I'm like, how do I even do that? How do I hide my my heart in you, Lord? When we trust God, we are safe. Our spirit can be at peace because when we say we trust in the name of God, we're saying we are trusting in the most powerful Good, loving, and generous being in the entire cosmos. Did you know that? There's only one who gets to claim that title, and who is it? Say it again. Say it to yourself. Who is it? It's God. Now, do bad things still happen in our life, friends? Are they going to happen today, maybe tomorrow? Did anybody go through some bad things this past week? Maybe. Maybe. Listen, bad things are still going to happen, but our hope as Christians is not lost because our hope is not resting in temporal things. Our hope is resting in eternal things. We're resting in God. Amen? That is where our hope is. So as Christians, we're the safest people in the room because our hearts are with a God who is safe, who is good and eternal and powerful. He's our comfort. He's a safe place. But... Every single one of us are fighting this battle between trusting in God uh, and uh, another rival God that wars against our confidence in God's eternal power, goodness, love, and generosity. It's a demonic foolishness that preys on our desires. It appeals to our comforts, satisfies our impatience, and it capitalizes on our fears. It's a small g God, and it's the false God called mammon. Everybody say mammon. Mammon. Some of you know what it is. Mammon is defined as a devotion to wealth and prosperity. It's worshiping and trusting in wealth and prosperity rather than in God. So enticingly, this is what Mammon says to us. Mammon says, why wait for heaven if you could have it right now? Why wait? Let's have it here. Why trust God when wealth can provide everything that you need? Why trust in the Lord? Just get a bigger W-2. Why look to God for provision when you can do it yourself or seek it from others? Anybody ever feel that battle, that tension in your life? I feel it. When we listen to the clever advertisements of our culture, the advertisements of mammon, it can cause a growing tension between our hope and trust in God who works all things together for the eternal good of those who love him, and the temporal God of comfort and security and pleasure and immediacy to having it right now type satisfaction. And in the advertisements, when these advertisements that we watch, they become our daily devotion. When we devote daily to listening to what the world says that we need and that prosperity and wealth and more money and cars and nicer Jordans and better grades and all, when we, when we devote daily to that, it's amazing how the tension inside of us can really grow it's severe. All right? Remind me, am I still talk, am I talking to a group of people who say they want to follow Jesus? Some, a lot of you do. Some of you are trying to figure it out. So for those of you who are trying to follow Jesus, does that tension grow in you? Do you feel it pulling on you? And that's what happens when we devote daily to this because... Like a dog that returns to its vomit, so we return back to these idea that the temporal things are going to satisfy what we need. Has anybody ever tested that out? Have you ever tested out what the world is offering? Bit down on it. Try to get more money. Try to get more clothes. Try to get more things. How many Christmases have we gone through, and we're still our life's not complete? At eight years old, I got a lot of things that I wanted, but at nine, I still wanted more. Adults, we still do the same thing in our 80s, where we think that if I just could have this or if my retirement could just be there, if I just had more money or a better house or more space, whatever. It's this idea that we will be complete when we have those things. And when we are starting to believe that and we devote daily to the advertisements, mammon begins to become more and more powerful and that tension grows in us and it rips us apart and it distracts us from trusting and serving the God of the universe who really does love us. I gotta be real, that's something I face on a continual basis, because I can start to believe that the temporal things, maybe they do satisfy. As Christians, we know that they don't satisfy, right? We know that it's not gonna be enough. We tell ourselves that all the time. In our head, we know, this is not gonna satisfy me. But somehow, what happens is we go, well, you know, maybe they do satisfy. It's just maybe the ones I have don't satisfy you ever, you ever thought about that? Right? Like you I've heard it said that the, the wealthy are better than the poor in one way. The wealthy are better than the poor in one way. It's that they know that wealth does not satisfy. You know what the poor say? It doesn't satisfy them, but what, give me a shot at it. Right? Give me a shot at it, and I'll show you it satisfies. And it's just not true. A higher W-2, better Jordans, better clothes, better home, better car. All of, Look, they all fade. We've all experienced it. So it's, and what happens is, as we get into this belief that maybe it does, and we start to listen to mammon, and we believe in it, what happens is we get the Jordans. But then they crease, and then they fade, and then they break, and a new one is released. We get the higher W-2 and the more money, and somehow our lifestyle rises to match it, and then suddenly we still, oh, I don't have enough money. I have sat at a church in North Dallas, uh, Texas, where a guy rolled up in a fat body Mercedes that was new, and he came in because he was needing help to meet his mortgage payment. Right? And he can't, and I, in my mind, I was like, well, just sell your Mercedes. He you can't sell his Mercedes. He's upside down, right? Guys, the mindset of mammon affects those who are wealthy and the poor. It affects all of us. So, what do we call that? We call that slavery. It's slavery, it's a slavery of desires. And when desires, it, we get enticed and it pulls us off. And guys, this desire for mammon can kill us. It destroys our relationships, it ruins our businesses, it ruins our faith and trust in God. Anybody ever experienced that? And so well, here's the thing: we Christians are no longer slaves, right? We're no longer slaves. As Christ followers, we are no longer slaves to money because we are slaves to who? To Christ. We are progressively free from the anxiety about provision because we trust God's care. Right? We are free from greed because God has shown us the joy of generosity. And so today what we're going to do is we're looking at a passage that's going to sober us up. Y'all ready for that? It's going to be like an ice bucket to the face that says, wake up! Friends, you live in the richest country in the world, and you have the highest rate of anxiety and depression in the world. Wake up! Because you don't have to. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at it in two points. You ready? Two points. You're like, what? That's a a third less than usual. This is going to be great. We're going to look at serving God rather than mammon and trusting God rather than worry. Serve God rather than mammon. Trust God rather than worry. So let's look at serve God rather than mammon. All right, before we begin, guys, it's important that I remind you that you are not just a physical body. Did y'all know that? You are not just a physical body who, that has to eat and that has to get dressed. You are, listen to me, an embodied soul. When scripture says that you were created in the image of God, it does not mean that there was a God who was standing and looked like me, who was creating people who look like him, all right? Physically, it's not that you look like God. It's that you spiritually are like God. What does that even mean? What it means is, is it means you guys have the capacity to make moral decisions. You have the, uh, the ability to experience wonder and love and hatred in a way that the rest of creation can't experience. You can experience a relationship with God in a way that your horses and your dog and your cats cannot experience. Did you know that? That's why when a cat gets ran over, it's not as big of a deal as when a human gets ran over. Because you have value. And cats have value, but not like you. You are an embodied soul created in the image of God. Now, here's the thing. Our culture sometimes, or Christianity can sometimes, tell us that our body is bad. Your body's not bad. Your body is not an enemy. Scripture talks about there is a, a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Anybody ever heard of this? Okay, it talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit, but it's not referring to your physical flesh. Your skin is not going to war against your spirit, right? Your ears are not going to war against your spirit. What it's talking about is, It's referencing the evil desires that you have in you. And listen, friends, every one of you has evil desire in you. I don't care how well you dress today and that you walked into a Baptist church, nobody's going to be convinced that you don't have evil desire in you. We all do. And the evil desires in you, they capitalize on your flesh, on your physical desires. It takes advantage of them to convince you of things and cause you to go to war. Has anybody ever felt this battle between the metaphysical flesh in you and the spirit to follow Jesus? Have you ever like really wanted to follow Jesus but for some reason you just kept messing up? Anybody ever felt that? Hey, you're in good company because nobody like most people didn't say yes but they all should have. You know that Paul who I think all of us look up to in the New Testament? Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, probably the most relatable passage of scripture in your entire Bible. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells within me. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And everybody said, amen. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. The whole world looks at us and goes, ah, oh, those Christians are hypocrites. And we're going, yeah, I know, man, this is art. Come give it a shot. Come on. It's really, really difficult. So here's what I want to show you, okay? You've got to understand that you're more than just a body, and you're more than just a spirit. You are a soul. So uh, about two years ago, I showed this image, and I'm going to show it again because I think it's really, really helpful. So look at this. Uh, If you're in the far back, I'm sorry. You should start moving forward. You'll see things better. All right? We should have done white lines, but again, we pulled this from two years ago when we were in a rec center. So this is, I want to show you what you really are, because when I show you what, what you really are, it's going to help you understand three other things I want to show you. So number one, you're a soul. So see the bigger ring on the outside? That is everything that you are. It's your soul. When the Bible describes your soul, it's a lot. I know. Pull up the glasses. I see you. I got mine on. Yeah, you're feeling weird now. You're like, it's gonna, you're going to turn red in like three seconds. Um, so here's what I'm having. So it, you're, it, it's the soul. So what's inside of the soul? Well, soul inside of that is social. You see that? Social is a weird world, weird word, but what I would say is it's your environment, your environment. You've got to understand that you're just not the person that's just sitting right there. You're also your environment. Hey, hey, young people, have you ever heard your parents say, listen, you know, the friends you hang out with are going to lead you in a certain direction? They're not wrong. Their Bible tells them the same thing, and they experience it themselves. Your environment has an incredible ability to shape who you are. That's why some of you need to change your playground and your playmates, all right, and so you are a, you're, a, you're a, a, an environment, but then also you're a body, all right? Like pinch yourself a little bit. Are you here? You guys alive? Ashley was trying to see if you were awake. You're smiling. You're happy. I am a body, okay? But inside of that body, there is the mind, and the mind is your thoughts and feelings. It's what you think, Right? And then inside of that, the depth of who you are, this is the command center, control center of your life, is the spirit. In the Bible, when it says heart and spirit, those are synonymous. They go together. It's the will of the human being. That's what makes you so unique, is God has given you something that has a will. It has this moral, ethical will. You can make choices. And that's the command center of your life. Now, why is it important that you see this and know this? For three reasons. As we go into this passage... When you see this and understand this, friends, it's going to clarify where the war is being waged in your life. We're going to talk about that. It clarifies what must be done, and it clarifies why you must do it. So it's going to clarify where the war is being waged, what you must do, and why you must do it. You ready? So where is the war being waged? Well, let's go back into the passage. Okay, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's a negative command. Why do we not lay up treasures on earth? Friends, what does it say? Why? Rust destroys. destroys. These break in steel, right? These things are all going to fade. This is true. Like, we know this in our culture, right? You put your money in a bank, the bank defaults, where did my money go? Right? You go, if you just look at the news, I'm not here to make fun of you Californians, but listen, you go to look at any place in California, and their targets are completely locked up every single row. Why? Because thieves break in and steal, right? Cars can be taken. Your clothes can be taken. Your jewelry can be taken. Your clothes wear out. Your shoes wear out. The food will rot, right? If you don't eat it in time, it's gone. That is the experience on earth. So do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. So does that make sense to you guys? This is supposed to make sense even to children, so it should make sense to you. So is the war being waged on earth? No, it's not. It plays out on earth, but no, it's not being waged there. Let's keep going. Sorry, that was a trick question. I, I know I set you up. My, I apologize. I, forgive me. It's not being waged on earth. Let's look at the positive command. So the negative command, do not. Positive command, do. It says this. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Why? Because neither moth nor rust destroy. the thieves do not break in and steal. When you store up your treasure in heaven, nobody's breaking into heaven. You know that? Nobody's breaking in. Nobody's stealing stuff. Now, this brings up a lot of weird images in my mind. Like, how do I make a deposit in heaven? That's a a good question. All right, so here's what I want to tell you. So about two weekends ago, I got to be down in Dallas. And there was a man who was speaking to a group of men of us. And his name is Tim Dunn. And uh, if you haven't heard of Tim Dunn, he owns an oil and gas business down in Midland, Texas. He is quite wealthy. And if you go look him up, you'll see that the internet says he's worth $1.3 billion. I think that's more than all of us combined in this room that I know of. Okay, and so he's worth a lot of money. And so he stood in front of us. And typically in rooms like this, because the man's worth $1.3 billion, that's what gives him the right to talk. But I tell you what, that's not what gave this man a right to talk in that room. What gave that man a right to talk to the group of men he was talking to was that he loved Jesus with his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Tim stood up in front of us, in front of a group of people who were also quite wealthy, except for me, and he said this. He goes, guys, he said this. He said, guys, listen. uh, In the world's understanding, I am very wealthy. But listen. Listen. When I die, I'm going to have the same amount as you, zero. And so he he told us, he goes, so my life's aim is to store up riches and wealth in heaven, not on earth. You hear that? And you go, that's great for a billionaire to say that because everything's covered for him, right? But listen, it's the mindset of the rich that have the hardest time understanding that. And God has blessed a man with an understanding to see that it's not about the wealth. So is, is the war being raged on earth? No, not necessarily. Is it being raged in heaven? No, it's being raged. Tim Dunn shows us where it is, and so does this passage. Jesus says this. What? He says, for where your treasure is, there your what? Heart. Your heart will be also. Friends, the war is being waged in your heart. Let's refer back to the concentric circles. Let's go back to that. Okay, we can go back to that picture? He's, he's going to find it. This is me mixing it up on those guys. At the center of who you are is what? Your spirit, your heart. So it makes sense that if that's the command center of your life, it would make sense that that is where we're going to focus all of the war, all of the battle is right there because whatever owns your heart will own your life. Whatever owns your heart will own your life. And if money and mammon and the desire for wealth and prosperity, if that owns your heart, from your heart to your mind, to your body, to your environment, you are going to become a means of influence that is dedicated to just having money, wealth, and prosperity. And your life's joy will be dictated by whether or not you have money or prosperity or comfortability or whatever thing that you want. Do you understand Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The front lines of the true war on terror is being waged at the heart and the spirit. Right now, guys, listen, the ideas from God, commands from God, and ideas from men and demons are corrupting or competing for ground in your life. Every day. They're competing for your heart. And they want to capture your soul. And money is a massive snare for the Christian walk. Does it mean you can't be rich? No. Tim Dunn, worth $1.3 billion, more faithful Christian than most of us. Loves Jesus. But it is a massive snare for the heart of a follower of Jesus. For instance, in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus is talking about the parable of the soils, most of you maybe have heard this. He talks about four different soils only one of them produces. So what you need to understand is he talks about seed being planted. The seed is the word of God. The soils are your heart. Seeds are getting thrown on your heart. The word of God is being thrown in on your heart. And he talks about one of them. He says this. Other seed, the word of God, fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. What does that mean? Jesus explains it. Mark chapter 4, verse 18. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Friends, the war for your heart, in the war for your heart, money and material wealth are a powerful weapon used by the enemy to choke out the abundant life that God seeks to provide for you through acceptance and belief in what his word says about him. It's the reason why you can read God's word in the morning and be stressed out about your retirement stocks in the afternoon. Because they compete and they choke you out. And this is true for me and everyone in this room. And so it's so powerful. This tactic is so powerful that Satan even tries to use it on Jesus Jesus fasts for 40 days in the wilderness, and then he gets hungry. That makes sense, right? Listen, your Bible is pretty understandable, okay? You should read it, all right? And he gets, he gets hungry, and so Satan first tempts him by going, hey, turn this rock into bread. You're hungry, do it, right? And then he tries to tempt him to jump off a building. That's not a temptation for me, but it's also just a way to go, let's see if God will catch you and care for you. And then when he sees that doesn't, that doesn't work out, Satan pulls out all the stops on Jesus. Pulls out all the stops. He just like goes full send. And Satan says this in Matthew. No, he says that. Where am I at? Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Does Satan have the ability to hand these things over? Yes, he does. And the last and greatest temptation that he offers to Jesus is, I'll give you all the wealth and prosperity, but you got to bow to me. Christians, listen to me. I want to warn you. Make no mistake. The war for your soul is being waged at your heart because what your heart worships determines its direction. And if your heart uh, desires for the kingdoms of this world, your soul will end up worshiping Satan, the kingdom of Satan. Just because you didn't join in two weeks ago, they had the biggest Satan convention in history happen in Boston. Two weekends ago. Just because you didn't attend that convention doesn't mean that you're not attending to what Satan wants for you when we give ourselves over in our desires of our heart for the kingdom, for wealth and prosperity here on earth, rather than trusting in God. But when we look to the Lord, when we trust in him, when we respond to Satan, when we respond to that desire in our heart, the same way Jesus responded to that snake, what did he say? He said, I will worship the Lord my God, and him only shall I serve. That's what we say. When we look at our bank account and it's getting empty, you go, I will worship the Lord my God, and him only will I serve. When you're just scrolling through the gram and they're hitting you with those advertisements that seem to be you know, keenly placed for you, right? And they tell us, we were talking about this last night, they're like, they tell us that they're not listening to what we say and then therefore uh, you know, giving us advertisements. You know, what's funny though is we said, we're talking about Ford Broncos, and I'm scrolling through Instagram, suddenly Ford Broncos show up. Yeah, whatever, Google, whatever, Instagram. I know you're listening, but please do not seize all my money. Um, So listen, friends. What this does is, listen, uh, we have to choose to say, I will worship the Lord my God and him only who I serve. My heart will be stored in heaven. My heart will not be stored in what I own. Right? I have no worth. It's not about my... It's not about my uh, net worth. It's, it's about my heavenly worth with God. That's what it's about. And so how do we know? So the question is, as a Christian, you guys are all going to ask this. You're all going to think about this, maybe, hopefully. You're going to go, hey, how do I know if I'm growing in this, if I'm becoming, uh, I'm growing and trusting in the Lord? Right? Anybody ever wonder that? Is God taking Who's winning the battle in my heart? Is God winning that battle, or is Mammon winning that battle? Who's winning? Well, it really, Jesus answers that in verse 22. I think this is really amazing. He says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is he saying? Okay, what Jesus is saying is this. The last time I taught on this, I shared about this ancient understanding of the good eye and a bad eye. Good eye and a bad eye. What Jesus' audience was hearing right here is a common idiom that describes the difference between generous people and greedy people. What do I mean by that? For instance, the word healthy eye is haplos. Everyone say haplos. Haplos. Haplos, all right, it just means single-minded or sincere, and it also comes from the root word for generous. So the healthy eye is that generous eye, right? Now, the word for bad eye here is better translated as jealous eye. It's ophthalmos panero, which sounds like a Harry Potter spell, okay? But it means jealous eye. It's a bad eye. So there's, the, there's this generous eye, and then there's this jealous eye. And so what he's saying is you can tell whether or not God is taking ground in somebody's heart partially by the look in their eyes, but primarily by the generosity of their life. You hear that? Have you ever met a greedy person? You can see it in their eyes, right? But also, you can see the, uh, the, the haplos, the health in a man's eye, who's filled with Jesus and knows the generosity of God, because you see the generosity of his life. If you want to know if God's taking ground in your heart, have you become more generous Or have you become more self-centered, conceited, greedy, self-devoted, right? And you're seeking more after what you can get rather than what you can give. That's the real question. It comes down to that. And what he's saying in this, he goes, hey, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's saying, hey, if the generosity in you really is greed, how great is your greed? Whoa. You see what I'm saying? You see what he's saying? Wow, so good. It's like Jesus is the most brilliant man we've ever read about. So what Jesus is saying is it fits right into the context. So I told you, understanding what you are clarifies where the war is being waged. Where's the war being waged, friends? In your heart. How do we know who's winning the war in our hearts? By, partially by the generosity and sincerity of our eyes, as well as primarily by the generosity and sincerity of our lives. We're not double-minded people. We don't serve God just so that we can also get something. We serve God because he's worthy of our service. We worship God and give because he's been what? Generous to us. We're going to get to that here in a second. So first of all, the war is being waged in our heart. Now, what must be done? What should we do? That takes us directly into verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I want to show you this image. So the same concentric circles, but we're going to put a throne. You can't see. I can see it. Okay, that red thing in the middle is a throne. I know it's hard to see where you're at. Use your imagination. That's a throne. I want you to imagine that inside of your chest, inside of your soul, there's a little throne. And the question is, who sits on it? You and mammon or God? Who sits on the throne? But it's, it's a seat for only one. All right? It's not a love seat. It's a seat for one. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Okay? Is it God or would your life say that somebody else is running the show here inside of your soul? When it comes to your finances, when it comes to your money, when it comes to your desires for wealth, prosperity, whatever the case may be, who's sitting on that throne? Now, the question I had, and maybe you have, is why can't I serve both? Why can't they both be there? Why can't I just pursue what I want at the same time? as like, God, you, can get, you jump in here, you get 50%. We'll give you half of the company, half of my life. Why can't you serve both? Well, 1 John, John, who's a disciple of Jesus, he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, guys. It's from the world. And listen to what he says. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you all see what he's saying? It's so simple. Look, I think there's tension in the room because some of you guys are going, oh, crap, I've got a problem. The reason why you can't serve mammon and you cannot serve God at the same time is because God wants you. Listen, friends. He wants you to hold everything in your life open-handedly, like this. Okay. Everybody, put your hands out in front of you like this. Remember, you're an embodied soul. Your body's going to have an impact on your spirit right now. Hold your hands out like this. Can, with your hands open like this, can I come and put something in it? Is it pretty easy? Can I come and take something out? That's the that's the relationship you're supposed to have with God and your material possessions. Do you understand? Everybody close your hands. Is it going to be tough for me to place something in your hands right now? Why? Because they're cl- thank you. The, yeah, everybody's starting to get because they're closed. All right, you can put your hands down. Cuz they're closed, guys. And God is sometimes, listen, if you worship money and material possessions, what are you going to do when God says, "Hey, I need to take that." I need you I need to use that for the kingdom of God. I need that person to have that jacket. I need that person, I need you to open up that fridge of yours and I need you to feed your neighbor because you feeding your neighbor and showing hospitality in that moment is gonna open their hearts up to hear what I wanna place into their hearts, the word, the seeds. But if you live like this, I can't use you. I can't use what you've got and I want want you to be a part of this mission that I'm on but if you keep your hands like this, I'm gonna have to rip it out. And has anybody ever had God rip something out of your life when you didn't want him to? How, what's that experience like? It's painful. When he takes your home, he takes your job, he takes that money, he takes that savings, he takes that business relationship. When he takes it, it hurts. But for the follower of God who's, who, who has God sitting on his, the throne of his heart, which, guys, that could be this week and not next week, depending on how we devote our lives to him. When it's like this and he comes and takes it, it's like, no pain. It's like, oh, great, that's yours, Lord. You gave it to me anyways. I love you. You can have it. Because I know that when this world fades and there's nothing left in my hands, I will have hands that are raised to God because I will be in the presence of the Lord forever. Christians, your biggest problem is you don't think about eternity, you only think about retirement. You don't think about eternity, you think about retirement. Retirement's not even in the Bible. You know when a guy retired, he got blind, and so he had to step out of being a a priest. He couldn't see anymore. You're not done. Yeah, you may be done working for Marathon Oil or Merit Energy or whatever you work for. But man, the work for the kingdom of God doesn't end and your hands stay open. You've got God the rest of my life. The best decades of my life, my 60s and 70s, I am going to exploit for the kingdom of God. And look, my hands are still open. What do you want to do with me? And some of you are 16 years old in this room and you're thinking that it's only the older people who are supposed to live open-handedly with their time, talents, and their money. But listen, you may have 10 bucks. You go, God, what can you do with my 10 bucks? I know of a widow in the Old Testament who's got less than a penny and she gives that penny to the Lord and she has no idea how she can get food to eat. And Jesus said, I am proud of her. Next to her were Pharisees who were pouring out their money, making it clank. Why? Because they wanted everybody to see how generous they were. They're not generous. They were living like this with their hearts because the battle is not with your bank account. The battle is for your heart. Do you hear me, Christians? I have, we have to talk about money, not because I'm trying to reach to grab your Pocketbook. We talk about money not because God wants your money; He just doesn't want money to have your heart. And you got to be honest. A lot of us in this room, every one of us in this room, we have the temptation. We battle it every day with, "Do I have enough? Do I have enough money? Do I have this?" And we close our hands like this, and the Lord does not get to sit on the throne of our hearts. So again, clarifying who you are shows us where the war is being waged, which is in where you're, where's the war being waged, friends, in your heart. It also clarifies what we must do, which is what? We've got to choose who we will serve. Man, guys, I, I struggle with this every day. So don't. Act, I don't want you to think, just because I'm up here preaching on a stage, that I, I'm not being talked to as well. I've got to choose who I'm going to serve. And then the last thing is it tells us, why do we do it? Why choose God rather than choosing mammon? Why choose God rather than trying to choose to do it for ourselves? Why? We choose to be generous Because God has been generous with us. Has he not? He purchased our redemption so we don't have to buy our way into heaven. Good deeds, money. You don't show up to heaven, he goes, all right, do you have your $10,000 down payment to get into heaven? You know he doesn't ask for money when you get there? It's no business deal. Because he already paid it all. He provided his righteousness So there's no need to provide your own. He extended us mercy, guys, so there's no reason to beg. He gave us his spirit, so there's no reason to walk alone. The reason why we are generous is because he has been generous with us. That's it. That's why. So we get up off that throne. We shoo away mammon. And we say, Lord, it's yours. You can have it. You can have it. It's yours, God. Come, I want you to sit on it. And I'm not, I'm not going to give you 90% of the seat, but I'm going to keep a cheek on there. It, it's all yours, Lord. It's yours. You can have every bit of my life. And so as he transitions out of this section, Jesus says this. If you, if you realize what Jesus has done for you, and you realize how good, how awesome, how powerful, how loving he is, how much he stinking loves you, and you put him on that throne, when Jesus is the king you got anything to worry about? Hey, when Biden's the king, you can freak out. When Trump's the king, you can freak out. When a man's on that throne, you can freak out. When mammon is on that throne, you should freak out. But as soon as God sits on the throne, he says this, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. He says, listen, don't worry. You have nothing to worry about anymore because I'm on the throne. When he says, therefore, what he's basically saying is, it's like, therefore, I, I've told you all this, therefore, it's like, a, it's like two plus two equals four. Hey, because two plus two, right, therefore, four. Hey, because I am God and I care about you and you've invited me into your heart. Hey, listen, you got nothing to worry about. You can calm down. It's like a, it's like a no duh. I got nothing to worry. I got God. All right? Now, maybe you're a normal follower of Jesus like me and uh, you struggle with anxiety. Like I said, anybody struggle with anxiety in here? I struggle with anxiety about my future and my money and the things in my life and yada yada. It comes into my life. So that's what this next section is about. It's about trusting God rather than worrying. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't just throw trust around willy-nilly. Does anybody else do that? We're not not very trustworthy people, especially in a skeptical society, right, like ours. We don't just throw trust around. Why don't we throw trust around? Because you could get hurt. You can get abandoned. You can get taken advantage of. It doesn't feel so good. So why should we trust God? Well, he's about to give us seven reasons why we should trust God. Seven reasons. As we go through these, guys, I want you to hear the tenderness and love of God in this section. All right? Listen. Here's number one. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? What he's saying is this. Life is not food and clothing. Now, sure, Food keeps us alive. Clothing can keep us warm and safe from the elements. But is life about food? Is life about surviving and staying alive? No. Isn't life more than that? Friends, isn't it more than food, more than clothing? Now, food is great. It can make life so much better. Clothing is nice. I'm glad none of you are in your naked, all right? You didn't have to walk through that rain and freak out about it, right? We're here. It's great. It makes life great. But life is about relationships, It's about communion with God and fellowship with one another. That's where life is found. It's found in this and hanging and being together and seeing each other. It's found in me having a relationship with God who loves and cares. Life's not about food. And so what he's saying is like, guys, don't make it about food and don't make it about clothes. Number two, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you're not more value than they. Any bird watchers in the room? If you're a bird watcher, you're called a birder right? If you study birds, you're called an ornithologist. But friends, you don't have to be either to understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, the birds, they don't have individual names. They don't have farmland. They're not out there, you know, in a combine or running it out there just with their overalls on. Yet God cares for them. But God also knows that you have a name. He created you in his image. He knows you work. But in the, the day he's saying, look, if I'm gonna care for the birds, I care for you. I love the simple, simple lessons in the Bible. It's that simple. Don't turn it into a cartoon felt board type idea. He's trying to tell you something. Like, if I care for the birds, why wouldn't I care for you? Reason number three. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? Now, we got some anx- anxious people in the room. We got some warriors in this room. How many of you guys felt like you extended your life by worrying? Have any of you guys ever like been anxious and you were like, you had, a, like, you had two hours of anxiety over your finances and how your business is doing, and you came out of it feeling more filled up and energized and happy about life? Anybody? No. Does anybody believe, okay, without hearing any scientific data, does anybody in here believe that anxiety takes off time off the end of your life? Anybody believe that? Anybody feel that in your gut? hey, cool, guess what? Yale did a research study that says it's actually true. You age faster when you're more anxious. When you're more anxious. It's, it, so Yale said this. A lot of, this, is what, this is what Yale said, whether you care about what they think or not. It says a lot of people have felt at a gut level that stress makes us age faster, and our study shows that that is true. But they also found this. The study found, however, that some lifestyle choices mitigated the negative effects. Uh, subjects who showed strong emotional regulation, self-control skills, had younger biological ages than their counterparts who did not. So friends, what is Jesus doing right here? Jesus' question, in which of you, by being anxious, can add a single line of your life? That's Jesus trying to regulate your understanding and, and your control, uh, about control and protect you from the delusion of anxiety. That you have any control over this life. It's Jesus coming in and go? hey, cool it. You don't have control, and that's okay. Because remember, who's on the throne? Jesus. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to worry about, are we in a recession or not? He's like, my God's got me. He cares for the birds. And being anxious doesn't do anything for my life anyway. It just stresses me out, makes me angry, makes me kick my cat, who scratches my kid, who, you know, and the whole thing goes on. Reason number four. Reason number four, and why are it... Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet they, I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, is not arrayed like one of these. Anybody have been up to the bear tooth when the flowers are blooming? Yes. It's, why do we love that? It's beautiful, the colors, right? He's saying, guys, if I care about flowers, that millions of flowers that none of you have ever even seen, right, and no one's going to see, don't you think I care about you? I care about birds. Anxiety doesn't do anything for you anyways. You don't really have that much control. I care about flowers that you guys haven't even seen before. He cares about flowers more than you care about your kids. But he cares about you more than he cares about the flowers. So what are we worried about, guys? Why are we worrying so much? I need this reminder today. Maybe you do. Reason number five. But if God... Oh, we already did that, right? Oh, yeah, here we go. So if God so closed the grass, of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Here's the thing. Jesus is not making fun of you, and he's not calling you a weak-faced Christian. It's a term of endearment. It's like when my son is crying in the middle of the night because he's having a nightmare, and I come in there, and I hold him. and he say, hey, Dad's here. You don't have to worry. That's what God is trying to do with you guys. I don't care if you're a big, burly, bearded man. He's holding you and saying, buddy, listen, why are you anxious? Your father's here. What do you got to worry about? And I know some of you, maybe you're worried and you're anxious about your finances. You're worried about your money. You're worried about your house. You're worried about if you can make payments. Maybe you're worried about all these things. Some of you have, you have so much money. And you, have no, there is, it's not, you don't have to worry about any of those things. But the deceitfulness of riches can choke you out. Because it's taking God off the throne of your heart. And it's placing you in mammon on it. And saying, look, I don't even need God. Beware, because that kingdom in your life will fall. And he's saying, guys, have faith and trust in me. Not a single one of you were worried about the flowers this week, were you? Anybody, like, get stressed out about the flowers up in the bighorns? Anybody worried about the grass that was going to be growing? You're like, man, I just pray for that grass, that it's safe. Not a single one of you prayed for the grass and the flowers and the Beartooth Mountains this past week. None of you in your, in your entire life have you prayed that those flowers would be okay. No, but your God sees them, and he sees you as greater than them. So what does this remind us? It says, that's why Jesus says again, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? If God is good, and he's in control, and you're, he's so stinking in love with you, here's the first five things. Life is not, life is not about food and, and clothing. Number two, God takes care of the birds, and you're worth more to him. Number three, anxiety doesn't produce anything anyways. God closed the flowers. You are more valuable than flowers. Number five, God cares about dispensable grass. You are more valuable than grass. So don't be anxious because anxiety is killing you anyways. National Institute of Health reported that one in six American adults each year struggles with uh, anxiety disorders. That's 66 million people. And I think that's just way too low. I think it affects every person across America, across all time. But it says this, they found that anxiety disorders can also raise your risk of medical problems such as heart disease, diabetes, substance abuse, and depression. What does that say? You worrying about whether or not God cares about you is literally killing you. It's literally killing you. It's definitely killing our kids. My guess is it's so much higher than that. But as God's children, we have a choice. Here's reason number six. Jesus says... For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What's the point? Hey, Christians, let me just listen. Christians can worry and get anxious. It's true. We we worry and we get anxious. But here's the point that Jesus is making we don't have to. The rest of the Gentiles, the rest of the world, he's saying, they're gonna be. They're gonna get anxious, and they should be anxious because they got nothing else but themselves. They got nothing else but their bank account. They're trying to do it all on their own. And listen, they're going to stand on their own. But we Christians, even though we still get anxious, we don't have to. Say it to yourself, I don't have to. If you're right there and you're sitting here, and you're feeling anxious, I don't have to feel this way. And the reason why I don't have to feel this way is because I choose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to me. If I say, God, I just want your kingdom so you have the throne of my heart and my life, I'm not worried. Therefore, I'm okay. Does that mean that God is going to become our Santa Claus and he's going to give us the desires of our heart? Does that mean that? Anybody, Christians? No. Jesus is not Santa Claus. He's not going to do that. Does it mean that we're never going to be hungry again? No. Some of you are hungry right now and you cannot wait for me to shut up. Does it mean that you're not going to be cold or wet or you're going to have to face the elements or you're... Going to have to be looking for a house and not know where you're going to live anymore? Does it mean that's never going to happen? No. Right now in Burma, if you go and look at the Free Burma Rangers Instagram page, house after house being burned and and being bombed by people who hate another ethnicity. And some of them are followers of Jesus. Does that mean God doesn't love them and he's not going to provide for them? No. This is something I want to remind you of. is that God cares for you and you can trust him. But you've got to remember that, guys, we are not just people who can trust God, but we're also people that God has entrusted to a rich gold that we have to take to the world. And that's why it says, he said in Matthew chapter eight, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Anybody have said that? Everybody said, i want to follow you, Jesus. I wanna go with you. I wanna follow you. Anybody, raise your hand. I have. That's why I live in Cody, Wyoming. I would live, I would totally live in the Florida Keys rather than here. But the Lord said, go to Cody. I said, all right, I'll go to Cody. I'll follow you anywhere, Lord. And so this is what he says. Jesus answers this guy. He says, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Friends, this is super confusing. Didn't Jesus just say back in Matthew chapter 6 that if he sees the birds and he cares for them, he'll care for you? And he just goes, hey, the birds got houses, but I don't got a house. Did Jesus just say that God's going to provide for us, but that God has not provided for Jesus? Is that what that said? What that means is Jesus saying, listen, I trust God. And if he wants me to have a house, I will have a house. But if he wants to take my house, it doesn't matter because I'm here to serve him. Because I know that when I die, it's not about houses anymore because I get a kingdom. In John fourteen two, he says, he goes to prepare a room for me. He says, if it were not so, would I have told you that? That's Jesus going, guys, I am, I, like, how many of you guys that you, when you have family coming in, your wife is, like, getting the house all ready and cleaning and getting, like, you like rolling up towels and setting them, like, on the nightstand, and you're like, why don't you ever do these kind of things for me, babe? Right? Right? And, and she's, like, preparing for the in-laws to get in. Jesus is like that, but so much greater. He's, like, got a room. He's preparing. He's like, my, my boy Greg is going to be here one day, and I can't wait. I'm going to get him here, I'm calling him. And when he dies, he's going to come over. It's going to sting. But you know what? It's gonna be, it's, the joy is going to outweigh all that pain he went through because i got a room and I can't wait for him to get here. I'm, I'm rolling up the towels. I'm getting the bed just ready. He's got the favorite colors on the wall. I love him. Now, whether or not it's going to be painted and I'm going to have a bed and all that, I don't know. But at the end of the day, it says that my God has a heart to prepare for me because he loves me. So it makes me confident that he's going to provide for me in this life. And when he doesn't provide for me, I know that there's a mission that I, I have to walk in. So not only is God going to provide, but also this life of following Jesus comes at a cost. So Christians, there's two things you've got to understand. Number one is you, you are called to serve God. All of the world is called to serve God, just only a few of us recognize it. And number 2 called to trust God you got to trust him that sometimes he's saying, I need your finances. I need you to open up your home. I need you to open up your refrigerator. I need you to donate your car. I need you to be able to use your skills. Can you cut hair? I need you to cut hair. Do you know how to build pumps? I need you to build pumps. Can you speak? Can you teach? Can you share? Whatever it is, I need you to use those things. You're like, well, I thought you gave them to me for me. He's like, no, I gave them to you for others. Do you understand Serving Jesus comes at a cost, and even Jesus who told us what we'd be provided for because the birds are, also had a home that was less than the birds. Okay, what does this mean for us today? Well, let's talk about what it means for me. Let's apply it to me first. Number one, I need to surrender my anxieties about food, shelter, and clothing through prayer. So I pray almost daily, God, my food, my money, my things, my desires, they're yours. I pray that even when I get anxious later today about them, Remind my soul to pray, to trust you again. Number two, our, the Brooks family, we give, uh, we give portions of the money that we make here at Outpost back to Outpost to further the mission of Outpost, because we believe in the mission of God, and we worship the Lord through that giving. Uh, we also give sacrificially of our money, food, talents, to love and support others in our community and across the world. That's something that we do, and that's a way to keep ourselves off the throne, and we want to worship the Lord through the giving. We always don't have the right heart when we do it, but we try to do it. And we've committed ourselves to doing it because we know it honors the Lord. Now you go, are you bragging? No. This is what a normal Christian does. If I told you I got up and I had a Devo this morning that was separate from this, am I bragging? No. It's just what I did because that's what Christians do. That's who we are. So what does that mean for us? Well, first thing I want to say is this. Before I say what does it mean for you, let me just tell you, number one, let me brag for a minute. I am so incredibly proud of the Outpost people. Y'all are incredibly generous. And I love it. The stories are piling up one on top of another every single week when I hear about what you're doing to serve and care and provide for those in this community. It's amazing. Anybody ever seen another outpost person or a Christian just provide? Have y'all seen that? Have you seen others do it? Come on. Yeah? I've seen it. I've seen your generosity, and it's been amazing to watch. And so here's the second thing. Guys, keep it up. We can do more. We can trust God more. And we could be more generous because the heart of a Christian, when God takes more ground in our heart, Outpost Community Church, we become more of a generous people, giving our time, talents, and treasure to him. So you go, oh, here's that point. Yep, this is the point. Here's the point where I'm saying some of you, you don't give of any of it, and you're missing out on what God wants to give you because of it. And we we can give more. So here's what I want to tell you: is this. Number one, you need to choose who you're going to serve. So that's the first step. If you have not chosen to serve Jesus, ignore me. We don't want your money here at Outpost Community Church, and God doesn't need your money. Okay, He doesn't need it. All right. Number one, you need to decide whether or not you're going to follow Him. Let's just start there. Number one. Number two, we got to celebrate, Church. We got to be better at celebrating what God has provided for us. Being thankful. Anybody thankful? I live in a house. It's awesome. I was not in a tent in a field somewhere this past week, and I'm so thankful for that, so thankful. There's a lot of things that God has done to provide for me through Jesus, and it's amazing. Number three, we've gotta to confess to our community our anxieties about life and money and all those things and provisions. If you have been living in anxiety, you need to confess that to your community, and you need to bring them in and to remind you of God's goodness, of his provision, and, you got to, and to remind you that you're gonna die one day and you're gonna have the same valuation as everybody else. Zero. And people are going to show up at your funeral, right? Some of them are going to show up late. They're going to talk mainly about themselves, and they're going to go live their life. Do you know that? You ever been to a funeral? They're going to show up late. They're going to talk mainly about themselves, and they're going to live and go li- leave and go live their life. That will be the end of your days here on earth. But on the other side in heaven, what are we going to get? You're going to get somebody calling out your name because he was focused on you. And he said, come and enter my rest for eternity with me. Do you believe that? Holy crap. If I would believe that more often, it would probably change the way I live today. So what leads to the next thing. We need to give regularly to the mission of Christ. And if this is your local church, give regularly to the mission of Christ in your local church. Guys, that's just a natural expectation. I've, I, I need to apologize. I've shied away from saying that to you guys because I don't want to look like the guy's about money. But the problem is Jesus talks about money second only to talking about the kingdom of God. You know that? Apparently he understood that your money is the biggest thing holding you back from knowing and understanding and believing and trusting in Jesus. It's your money. So I would, I, I, I would tell you, give regularly to the mission of Christ in your local church and local community. Give God your first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruit of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. That's scripture telling you, guys, don't wait until the end of the month. We're going, ah, we got a a little bit left. What does it say about your heart? I I don't care what it says about your bank account. What does it say about your heart? God, you're the last thing on my mind. I would rather have a $5 latte than support what you're doing. Now, we would never say that bluntly, but... You give it your first fruit. You try to say, the first thing I will do. When I see, boom, Wells Fargo sent me a text, money's in. Hey, babe, tonight at dinner, let's get all the kids. We're going to circle around the table. We're going to put the thing, our phone on the table. We're going to put the number that we do in. We're going to have all our kids, and we're going to pray over that. And we ask our kids, say, we, we look at our kids, we go, hey, guys, do you guys want to a part of this? Boone always says yes. He has nothing. Okay? All right? And uh, Trip has no idea. He's just along for the ride. And Liv, the first month, said yes. And since then, his will be like, oh, uh, no right, because she's saving up for a bearded dragon, and I get it, and look, we're not trying to make her do it, but we're like, baby, do you want to jump in and help out with, with the mission of Outpost? Uh, but I'm trying to save for a bearded dragon. We're like, all right, baby, we're, we're praying for you. Lord, help my daughter realize. <laughs> Guys, that's what it looks like at our house. We put it right there on the table. Our kids see what it is, and they go, okay, that's what our family gives, and we go, like, let's put it on the table. Do we miss the first part of the month? Do we sometimes forget? Yeah, a lot. We forget, we're doing it in the middle of the month. Like, oh, crap, we got, we're doing that tonight. We sit at the dinner table. It's a part of our devotion to God, and we sit and do it. Follow me as I follow Christ. Some of you guys, you go, all right, here, hold on. How much, how much should I give? Is there a percentage? Look, I'm not going to tell you what percentage. I tell you, the Bible only tells you one percentage. So if you're looking for a place to start, maybe 10% is where you should start. Some of you go, that freaks me out. I know, but I was 19 years old. By the grace of God, I made that decision. And you know what? It's never ruined my life. Never ruined my life. When we were living in a camp making less than $16,000 a year, we gave 10% of our income away, as well as I also paid for my way to get through college. God can provide. When I went down to Dallas, Texas, to go to a place called Watermark to study, they paid me $1,600 a month. My rent in North Dallas was $1,600 a month. It's was like, thank you. Here you go. We still have a roof. We have no food. We have no electricity or internet. But we're here. You know what happened? God provided for us. There were friends in this community and across the United States who said, Greg, we believe in what God wants to do for you. We believe in you. We love God and we love you. And so we want to be a part of this. And so they gave generously through an organization to support us. And we were able to make it. It was the most wonderful time. We had more car problems that year than ever. And God provided for every single need that we had. I'm telling you I trust in God more today because I've been generous with my time, talents, and treasure than I I would have been if I hadn't. I'm not saying I trust God more than you because I give. No, you can give like the Pharisees and have no trust in God. But I'm telling you that God has done something in my heart because of my generosity that makes me go, oh, that's right, I forgot. You do love me, you do see me, you will provide. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of y'all think that's crazy. So here's what I'm gonna say, you need to give sacrificially. What do I mean by sacrificially? Guys, okay, I love what Brad said last week. He said, what should you give? Somewhere between what Jesus gave to you, which was what? His entire life, and that hurts. I think that's a good margin. Somewhere in there, give. And I'm talking, and when I say give right now, yeah, time, talents, for sure, you should do that. Of your money, the material possession, of your food in your fridge. And the last thing is you've got to give God the glory because it ain't about you, and it's not about outposts. It's about God, and it's about his kingdom. Do you hear me? It's about him. And God wants to do something wonderful in your life because he loves you and he cares for you. Now, what time is it? We're doing great. Uh, maybe you're not doing great, but... Here's what I want to tell you, friends. My prayer for you is that we, the generosity of this church would be the number one thing this community talks about. They go, wow, I, I, can't, I can't knock their generosity. Man, they love, they serve, they care, they give, they supported us, they cared for us. And uh, I'm really proud of us. I mean, through the clause that we've seen families be provided for, foster children uh, be cared for because of y'all's generosity. We've seen a sound system be donated to a church plant in Honduras. We're praying about what we could do for Burma. We've got friends uh, that we've been caring for. You guys care for each other. We've helped women uh, be able to pay for their apartment when they were going through some things. Uh, I, I've seen you guys meet needs. The way we do it here at Outpost is our members, before they come and ask the church for money, in their community team, they'll, they'll state the need they've got and their team will try to meet it together. And I've seen God do that over and over at Outpost. It's pretty amazing. There are times where needs are being met and I never heard about it. That's freaking awesome. That's the church being the church. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you guys. I, I, we're going to be honest with you. We've, we've been trying to roll this out and Share with you guys. We have grown to a point where I want y'all to know what's going on here in the mission. So I've shared all this. A lot of spiritual things you need to take away. Go back and re-listen on the podcast. But I also want to let you know about Outpost. Right now, we're at a size of people where we are. We have a lot of people. Praise God, that's great. I think God's doing a lot in your lives. But we've got very few staff, and uh, this is killing them. So I'm just gonna be honest. It's really crushed our staff, and so here's what. And it's also crushed me. Because a lot of you guys have sometimes inappropriate expectations of what I'm able to do. And that's okay. That's totally fine. Our church experience usually is the pastor's supposed to meet everybody's needs. I'm just sorry. I can't do that. But here's the thing we've noticed is we really do need help on the staff team. If, we, if God gave us a foundation this big, the fruit is now spilling out and we need to expand the foundation a little bit to be able to support what God's doing. And so we're at a, we're at a phase right now to outpost where I'm just going to be honest with you. We don't have enough money to be able to expand that. So here's what I want to tell you. Uh, I, I heard a wise man say it this way. If you like what you got, keep doing what you're doing. But if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not gonna like what you got. And our staff team are now telling you that. If you like what you got here, that's great. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if you keep doing what we're doing, you're not gonna like what we get. And I believe God wants to do far more abundantly through us than we could ever ask or imagine. That comes through your faith and your devotion, but it also comes through being able to staff and support you guys. Now, here's the last thing I wanna tell you guys about this is, look, uh, I'm a talented guy in about like two things. Okay? And uh, I am a great guy if you want to plan a church. Fantastic. But I'm also very blunt. I'm also, I can have a tendency to steamroll a little bit. Okay? I can be a little rude. I can say things that you wish I would apologize more for. Um, and it's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. I am who I am, I, I, and I'm trying to grow to be more like Jesus, and a lot of you have helped me. You've told me, Greg, hey, you need to be more merciful. You need to be a better shepherd. You need to do all these things. And it's great. You're so right. You're absolutely right, but what I've become to realize is this, that I am not what I think a lot of us are needing, which is somebody who's gifted as a shepherd, full of mercy and kindness. Now, am I called to be merciful? Yes. Am I evangelist? No, but am I called to evangelize? Yes. What I've noticed is Guys, for you at Outpost, what we keep hearing over and over and over is that we need a shepherd pastor. And so what I'm telling you is I've been praying about, God, how can I shift over in my leadership? I'm not leaving. Don't freak out or or don't get excited either. (laughs) Okay? Uh, How can I shift over in my leadership to make space? For somebody to come in to be a part of our team, to oversee our connecting in our community. So in other words, be a pastor shepherd who shares the stage with me and shares the leadership of this church. Literally, I'm going to give them a stock share in leading Outpost Community Church so that we can further flourish. In Ephesians 4.11, it says that he gave to the church apostles, prophets, shepherds, evangel- or evangelists, and teachers. And I think right now what we really need is a shepherd. Don't freak out. We're not, uh, not hyper charismatic, but I'm more of that apostle prophet type attitude. Okay? which is great. It's been a blessing. But I'm seeing that we need it, and guys, we can't do it. Because listen, ministry costs money. That's the way it is. So just as we give to things that we believe in, do we give to believing in what God's going to do here at Outpost Community Church? And I'm telling you guys, we need to be able to do that. Kate Momfelt is a wonderful woman who's done incredible work here at Outpost Community Church leading our kids. What you don't know is Kate led a lot of the times. She led and was never uh, rewarded for that financially from Outpost. Our kids' ministry grew to a size that was bigger than other kids' ministries of other churches that have full time staff overseeing it. And she was doing it for free, of just giving of her time, her talent, and her treasure to that. Sometimes buying out of her own pocket things for your children so she could help teach them the gospel alongside your parents. Isn't that amazing? And she's been running in the last year as a, the par, as a part-time staff member here at Outpost. But she's got growing boys that she wants to spend time with. And that ministry has grown to where it's taking, needing more closer to full-time help. And she's not the gal to do it. So we need to be able to find somebody as well as support somebody who can lead that fully. So these are areas in our, in our life as Outpost, Outpost Community Church that here's the good problems we've got. Okay. And I want to tell you, as your friend, that along with you, Bonnie and I want to rally with you guys to figure out how we can be a part of meeting this mission together. Not so we can build Greg's kingdom. I want to hand over some leadership and shift to the side because it ain't about Greg. All right? But God's called me to lead, and I'm going, friends, I'm looking ahead and I'm going, we're going to be in big trouble if we just keep doing what we're doing because we're not going to like what we get. All right? And so I'm telling you, here's the encouragement. We're going to talk about this in June, we're going to talk about this in July. Uh, I want here's the encouragement. I want you, I don't care if you're 16 years old and you got $3 to your name. I want you to pray and talk to the Lord and say, God, this next year, what am I, wh- God, I want to talk to you. How much can I give? What am I going to give? And pray and talk about it with the Lord and decide what are going to be my first fruits for this next year? How can I rally around the mission I believe in? How can I show up and not just be a consumer, be a contributor to the mission of Christ together with these people? Not just with my time and talents, which you guys are killing, but also with my treasures. I want you guys to pray about that this year. I want you guys to pray about that tonight with your families. You freaking out? If you leave over this, I've told some friends I'll stop saying I don't care. I don't care. I really don't care. I'm not trying to get your money. I don't get a cut of what is given. My my salary is decided by other men, and I'm telling you, uh, from when I'm i not even going to go that direction because it's not worthy of our time. But I'm telling you, I want you to pray. And here's what I want to tell you. I want you to believe that God could do far more abundantly in your life than you could ever ask, or imagine. It's not sowing seeds of faith. That's not what this is. It's us trusting in faith God and saying, let's do this mission together. Amen? Do not let money rule your life. Give the throne to the Father. Let's pray. Father... It seems kind of crazy, Lord, to me that we gets, I got so anxious about talking about money in front of a group of friends because at the end of the day, money is warring against you and shouldn't we call out our enemies? So forgive me, Father, for the last two and a half years where I have not spoken explicitly about this evil, deceptive God that wants to tear apart our life, distract us, and rob us of our joy, our peace, and our patience. And I pray, Father, that you would forgive me for that. You forgive us as a body in the ways that we've been maybe greedy or stingy or forgetful of you or lacked faith. And God, I know you're going to forgive us because your word says you forgive us. You're faithful to forgive. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your mercies never come to an end. They're new every single morning. They're new this morning. So Jesus, I do, I want to pray for our body. I pray that we would not feel uh, guilty or ashamed, but God, that we would feel convicted and spurred on to love and good deeds. If there's anything that anyone's feeling in this room that feels like compulsion, I pray, God, that it would become prayer. And I pray, to the Father, that if in any way I've made this about me and not about your kingdom, you'd forgive me. And in any way somebody accuses me and it's not true, that I'd forget them, forget their words. It comes down to this, Lord, will we trust you. Help me to trust. Help our family here to trust. And Jesus, I pray you would help Outpost Community Church um, make your name famous, not Outpost famous. And we all together pray in Jesus' name. Amen.